Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to go to two passages this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we'll begin. And then we'll go back over to the Bible passage, the famous Bible passage of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and Luke chapter 15 in the Word of God. Now, what a blessing it is to be back here. Thank you for being here this morning, early on Sunday morning, and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ on His day. And uh, what an exciting time to be alive, isn't it? These are some crazy days that we live in, but these are exciting days, and uh, these are historic days. And I'm glad that I have the privilege of being alive during this time to serve the Lord and to point people to Jesus. You really don't have a choice, so there's not really anything you can say about it, and there's no use in complaining about it. Uh, you might as well make the most of it. So I'm going to try to make the most of me being alive right now and uh, seeking to bring people to Jesus. Now, we're here for just a few short days. I apologize that my family can't be with me uh, during this time, and they are sad that they can't be here as well. Uh, but they give you greetings from Arizona. They're out in Kingman, Arizona today, at least most of them. My oldest is back home in Shelby. But uh, I sure, sure appreciate your prayers for our family. And uh, we have had great meetings this year so far. We've been out in uh, New Mexico and Mississippi, New Mexico, and uh, then out in Arizona and California. And uh, we just finished a meeting this last week in Kingman, Arizona, up in the northwest corner. And my, uh, what, what a great opportunity that was. This church is 50 years old, Pastor, and this is the first revival meeting that they've had. And so uh, we had a good meeting there, and I think the people were encouraged, and the pastor was encouraged. He and his wife were youth leaders in the youth group when I was a teenager growing up. So it was exciting to be able to reestablish that friendship and, and acquaintance. And what an exciting time to uh, see the Lord at work. And, and uh, God did some great works out in California. We were uh, praying the week ahead of the meeting and asking the Lord to move in a mighty way in, in the week ahead. And uh, we were on a prayer conference call every day in the week ahead with some of the people from the church. And the pastor had uh, sent out 10,000, the church had sent out 10,000 uh, mailings, beautifully well done mailings to the whole neighborhood and community. And uh, we prayed that God would use that in the hearts and lives of those people and uh, that God would anoint those mailings. And then just after we left, another 10,000 uh, are going out. But uh, we, we asked the Lord to do something specifically. Well, there was a lady that came. Her name was Maribel, and I don't know if she was in her 30s. I would imagine probably 40s, and it was the first time she'd ever been inside the doors of a church. And she came there to Rancho Cordova to the Bible Fellowship Baptist Church, and God did a work in her heart, and she got saved that day. And uh, she has uh, several children and, and uh, two that she had had custody of, and uh, she had been off of drugs for a month and uh, my, what the, my what the gospel can do in drawing the, the sinner to himself and saving them. And we just praise the Lord for it. It's a great day to be alive and a great day to serve the Lord. Let's bow our hearts right now and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, would you fill me with your spirit this morning and help me as I preach, not to preach in my own strength or wisdom, but in the power, the sweet power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that if there's anyone here that's not saved, that has never known the full pardon of sin, that has never been freed from the bondage and slavery of their own iniquity, I pray that today they would be set free. I pray that you'd help me as I preach to preach boldly and powerfully. And Lord, I pray that something supernatural would happen in our service that would make such a difference in people's lives. Lord, encourage your people. These are discouraging days. And if we let it and focus on all of the trouble around us, we can get down real easy. But Lord, we we're not focusing on that today and all the corruption around us. Help us to focus on the incorruptible Christ. And Lord, we thank you that you're the Savior. And Lord, I pray that today you'd help us to lift our eyes upon you. Do a mighty work, I ask in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. It was October 3rd, 1998 that uh, my wife and I, or it was not my wife at the time, but we were standing, Amber and I, at the wedding altar and we were making our vows to each other. We got married in, in, in Lattimore, North Carolina. And uh, God, God gave me a wonderful wife. I can tell you before God and man that I married up. But uh, I, I'm so thankful for Amber and the blessing that she's been. But when we stood at that wedding altar many years ago, we made vows. Uh, we said something that was crucial in order for us to get married 
and that is that we would vow our lives and our love to each other. And it was in that moment that we exercised an act of our will. A crucial component in your spiritual development is the act of your will. I want us to look at what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at that verse again. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That means completely, fully, from top to bottom, from outside to inside. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is speaking here to a church that he had started in Thessalonica, the area that we now know as Greece. And as he's speaking to them, he is ending his first inspired epistle. That means this wasn't just a letter of Paul's thoughts. These were God's words given to this New Testament church there in Thessalonica. And at the end of this epistle, he says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. He's giving, if you will, a blessing, some parting words. And he's saying, I want God to sanctify you wholly, not partly, but wholly, not somewhat, but all the way. Not a little bit, but 100%. I want the God of peace to sanctify you wholly. The word sanctify means set apart for usefulness. The, the word sanctify has the idea of purging and the idea of making useful and making, uh, making purposeful. He says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to throw out a fancy word. Uh, we believe that we are three parts, not two parts, but three parts. We call this in, in theological circles, we're tripartite. That means we're body, soul, and spirit. We're made in the image of God. Now, I want us to think about this just for brief, a brief moment as an introduction, and then we'll go over to a, a famous Bible story that illustrates this. <clears throat> we're body. Every one of us have a body here. That's our flesh. That's the part that we all see. That's the part that functions. That's the scientific part of us that, that uh, moves through this veil of life. We're body. This is the part that we struggle with when we get saved called our flesh. It's the real desire within us. It's the appetites that yearn. And, and that flesh wants to live outside of God's boundaries. And that's the part we struggle with. That's our body. Now, we're like the plant kingdom in that we have a body. All the plants have a body, all right? But we're not just like the plant kingdom. We're like the animal kingdom in that we have a soul, that is, a mind, emotion, and a will. We have an awareness of what's going on around us. We have uh, an understanding of, uh, of, of people. We have an understanding of, uh, of people's presence uh, we're aware of what's going on around us. We have emotion, and we can express that emotion. I I have a dog, and uh, he he's he's mentally challenged. I can assure you, but but he he's my he's my bud. Toby is his name, and uh, he he has an awareness of what's going on. A couple nights ago, uh, we we or in fact it was just two nights ago. Uh, he was growling at about three o'clock in the morning, and we we're parked in. Uh, the oasis uh, in near the oasis trailer park uh, that's where the church is and uh, he was growling I said what is he growling about honey she got up to look and we're always checking wondering is there something going on looking out the windows do we need to do, do we need to uh, take action here is there some defensive measure we need to implement is is there somebody trying to get in our trailer our kids what are they doing we're checking all of that and uh, she said there's somebody yelling and and I was just kind of fading fast in and fast out, and and uh, and I could hear somebody yelling, and he just had this low growl. I said, "Toby, go back to sleep." But I, I was listening as well to see if maybe there was some danger. I, I wasn't worried, but I was I was listening, and there was this faint yell in the background that you could hear. Well, what was 
What, what was Toby's problem? Well, that shows his awareness, his, his soul, if you will, his mind, his emotions, and his will were all being exercised right then. He's wanting to protect our family. He's wanting to protect us. What's this noise? This isn't normal. You know, an evangelist is in a trailer usually most of his life. I'm in the trailer uh, or at least traveling 90% of the year. My family is traveling about uh, about 70% of the year. So so at least 70% of the year, the, the, the family is together. And, uh, and so we're in a different place every week. In one place, we might be in New Mexico, where you can stand on the front porch of the church and look 25 miles in every direction and only see two houses. Now, that's something hard for a person in northern Virginia to get their mind around. Uh, we might be the next week right next to the railroad track in Gilbert, Arizona, and we have to get used to the railroad and the train coming through in the middle of the night. We don't have uh, months to get used to this. We got, we've got days to get used to it, and the sooner the better. Uh, or we might be in a trailer park where people are yelling at each other uh, one day or the next. Well, Toby, my dog, was exercising his mind, his emotions, and his will. We're, we're like animals in that way, that we have a soul, a mind, emotion, and a will, instincts, and awareness of what's going on around us. But we are unlike the plant kingdom and unlike the animal kingdom. Can I go on record and say we are not animals? We are not mammals. We are human beings. We're the highest life form on the planet. And, and we are unlike the plant kingdom and unlike the animal kingdom in that we're three parts. We have a body, we have a soul, and a spirit. <clears throat> now, my dog has no conscience whatsoever. He will eat somebody's food and steal from somebody's plate without even batting an eye. I think his conscience is beyond past seared with a hot iron. It's, it's really bad, I can tell you. Uh, but he doesn't have a conscience about things like that. Uh, animals don't. Animals don't have a problem. They don't have a moral code, if you will. They don't have a, a law that they have to abide by. Now, they have the animal laws, and they have uh, the pack leader, and they've got to submit to all of that, but the, they don't have a moral law or a moral code that bothers them if they break it. We do. The Bible says so in Romans chapter number 2, that the law of God is written in their hearts. Uh, their conscience also the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. So we do, as human beings, we have a spirit. Let me say something to you. When God in the garden, in, in the garden said, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What died? Well, their body didn't die immediately. It began the process of death, but it didn't die immediately. Their soul was still alive. They were aware of what was going on, keenly aware, more aware than they had ever been of what was going on in their mind and their emotions and their will. And there, there was an awareness of, of evil like they had never known before. What died? Instantly, their spirit died. Adam and Eve, when they ate of that fruit, they violated God's law and instantly there was consequences. Their spirit died. And that's what is born again when a person trusts Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, your spirit is dead. That's what God means when it says in Ephesians chapter 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Well, what's he talking about? He's not talking about your body. Your body before you were saved was not dead. Your body before a person gets saved is not dead. It's very much alive. Uh, your soul is not dead. It's very much alive, but your spirit is dead. And the Bible says, before you're saved, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And you, Ethi quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word death in the New Testament and in the Bible is always means, always means separation. It doesn't mean, it, it doesn't mean anything but. It means separation. And we're separated from God. Uh, it doesn't mean inability. It means separation. And, and so when the Bible speaks and says, Paul is saying, I pray that your whole spirit 
and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving an admonition. He's giving a, a, a salutation, but he's also giving an admonition saying, look, I want you to be preserved blameless. I'm praying this for you. I want you to be set apart unto the Lord. I want you to be holy unto the Lord. And I would imagine that your pastor would like the same thing for you as well. I would imagine that that any good godly preacher that comes through and loves the people of Lighthouse Baptist Church would desire, would long for you to be separate unto the Lord, useful unto the Lord, holy unto the Lord, that you would be clean and pure unto the Lord, and not just a little bit, but all the way. I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen, that we are sanctified holy? How does that happen? Well, in order for you to be sanctified holy, you have to be saved. You have to be born again. I want to ask, have you been born again? Has there been a point in time when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, Last night on the plane uh, from New York City City down to Washington, D.C., I I was sitting next to a young man who was a software uh, engineer involved in software and he was 31 years of age, and, and uh, he was raised in Louisiana in a Greek Orthodox home. And I said, I asked him if he'd had some church background. He had asked me what I did, and I told him I was a, a Bible preacher and evangelist, traveled all over. And, and uh, I asked him if he had any church background. He said, I grew up in a Greek Orthodox home. And I said, well, have you found the answer to life's most important question? And he said, you mean, where's the best cheesecake? <laughs> Now, I hadn't considered that as an important question, but boy, now that he mentions it, that is a a very important question. Where is the best cheesecake around? I said, well, other than that, he said, well, you go ahead and ask your question. I said, well, if you were to ask me what's life's most important question, I would say, how can I know for sure that my sins are forgiven so that when I die, I'm ready to stand before God? Now, all of us, all of us have... uh, we, we've all, we're all, we have three things in common. Number one, we've all sinned. Number two, we're all going to die. Nobody's getting out of here alive. <laughs> Barring the rapture, setting aside the rapture, 10 out of 10 people in Northern Virginia are going to die. I know we don't want to die. I know we're trying to move away from the precipice of death uh, fast and, and, and sure. I know that we don't want to look like we're dying when we walk through this life. I know we put things on our body to make sure that we don't smell like we're dying, but all of us are going to die. All of us are going to die. And, and barring the rapture, we're all going to face the Lord. We all have sinned. We're all going to die, and we're all going to face the Lord. Now, are you ready to meet the Lord? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If you haven't been born again, you're not ready to meet the Lord. You're not ready to be saved. You're not ready to stand before him. If you've not been born again, you're not ready to die. If on that day when you stand before God, you have not been saved or born again, then then it's not going to be a happy day. The first problem hasn't been dealt with, your sin problem. You see, you can't, can't be sanctified holy unless first you've been saved holy. Well, how do you get saved completely? Well, you come to Jesus and you acknowledge that you're a hell-deserving sinner and that you need a Savior, and you want Him to be your Savior. Uh, my wife and I have just finished, or we're just about finished with a, a book called Bruchko. If you've never read it, it's a fascinating book about a teenage boy that is raised Lutheran up in Minnesota, you know, raised in Minneapolis, and where I grew up in, in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And, and, uh, and he, he is reading his Bible, and through reading his New Testament and searching for life's meaning, he comes to know Christ, and he's born again. And when he gets saved, he just thinks everybody needs to know about it. It's so exciting. He's just got to tell everybody. And he, he tells his dad, and his dad isn't really that impressed, although he's a pretty faithful Lutheran. Uh, he goes to church, and he tells some of his friends in the youth group, and, and they, they aren't really that impressed. And the pastor comes up, and he tells the pastor, and the pastor's not that impressed. And he says, well, all that happened when you got confirmed. He said, well, I'm telling you, whatever happened recently isn't the same thing as what happened when I got confirmed. He said, nothing happened when I got confirmed. Well, that didn't, you know, help his case as far as his relationship with his Lutheran pastor. But it really went, went from bad to worse. Uh, he, he would go to a friend's house who, who, and go to their church on a Sunday afternoon. They, they had a gospel preaching church. 
he would go there and uh, after he went to his church in the morning, he would go there, eat at their house and then go to their service that night. And then he would walk home. And in the freezing cold weather that's colder than this, uh, he, he would walk home. And one night he came home and the doors were locked. And he pounded on the door and nobody came to the door. And his dad was frustrated that he had found some new, new faith and found some relationship with the Lord that was different than the way he was brought up. Well, he decided he was going to try to try to become a, a linguistics professor. So he went to the local university and he started the, the process for all of that. But God was working in his heart, tugging at his heart and, and wanting him to go to the mission field. So as a 19-year-old, he buys a one-way ticket down to the mission field and he connects with some doctor down there who's supposed to meet with him, who really didn't, and, and down to Venezuela. He gets down to Venezuela and it's really an amazing story. Bruchko is the name of the story. Well, he gets down there and, and he lives with these Indians way up in the mountains. He finds them. They're supposed to be primitive. They're supposed to be heathen. They're supposed to be cannibals, which they, they weren't cannibals. And, and with great trial and persecution, he went to live with them. He said they would, they would take the trees and they would, they would bend the trees together, uh, trees that were higher than this auditorium. And in a space that was bigger than this auditorium, he would bend, they would bend the trees together and they would tie their hammocks up in the trees, up off the ground, sometimes high up off the ground. And that's where they would sleep. Sometimes they would have a whole village of 200 people staying in a, in a village house like this. And, and when it came time, years, he was there for four years living with these Indian people. And when it came time for him to actually present the gospel and, and he was learning their language and he was trying to get all the customs down, when it came time for him to give them the gospel, he said, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to explain the gospel to these people. But he gave a very good and simple definition of getting saved and what it means to get saved. And, and, and again, the hammocks were high up off the ground. You couldn't get in your hammock and have one foot on the ground and one foot in the hammock. You had to, you had to shimmy up the side of the tree and be completely in the hammock. And, and when he first did it, it was something to behold. He, he wasn't sure he could do it. But he explained salvation this way to his, his young friend. They called him Bobby. He said, you've got to tie your hammock into Jesus. In other words, you've got to put your faith solely in Jesus. You can't put it in Jesus and, and whatever it is you're trusting in or Jesus and your traditions or Jesus and your, your, your past religious background or, or Jesus and your morality or Jesus and your good work. You, you've got to have that hammock tied up into those rafters of Jesus. Have you tied your hammock into Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? I'm not asking if you tied it into Jesus in tradition. Jesus and ritual, Jesus and religion. Have you tied your hammock into Jesus? Have you been born again? Have you put all your weight and all your faith and all your trust and all your dependence upon him? If, if he were to call you home right now and you were to stand before him, what would your hope be? And where would your hope be? One songwriter put it this way. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Would you say that? Or would you say, my hope is built on Jesus and my tradition, Jesus and my ritual, or my hope is built on my works. My hope is built on my goodness. As I sat in the New York airport yesterday afternoon and evening in JFK airport, I saw all kinds of Orthodox Jewish families. They must have been going to a conference or going someplace and they, they, maybe they were going to Israel. I don't know, but there were several Jewish families walking by and boy, I thought about them. One little boy walked by and I thought, I wonder if that's what Jesus looked like when he was that age. And I thought about them so steeped in their own tradition and their own religion, lost and undone like anybody from any religion that's tying their hammock into the things of this world. If you tie your hammock into religion, you tie your hammock into tradition, you tie your hammock into your good works, it's a rotten branch and it'll fail you at the judgment. It will not give you hope. It will not give you help. It will not wash your sin away. It will not give you the, 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 an eternity in heaven. It will take you straight to hell. It is rotten to the core. So, so to be sanctified holy, body, soul, and spirit, we got to be saved. 
You can't be sanctified if you're not saved. Well, what else does it mean to be sanctified holy? Well, to be sanctified holy means I'm, I'm, I'm yielding myself completely to the Lord. You see? Let's look at our text. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Now, the Bible talks much about this word holy. It speaks about loving the Lord with our whole heart. It talks about loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. The Bible says about Joshua and Caleb in contrast to the 10 spies that came back from the promised land with an evil report. It says that Joshua and Caleb wholly followed the Lord. The reason they were able to go into the promised land. And by the way, they got in and the 10 spies didn't. They got in and those 40 years old and upward didn't. They got in and Moses didn't. We're not talking about getting into heaven now. We're talking about getting into victory. And they got in. You know why they got in? Because they wholly follow the Lord. Uh, You know what God's looking for from people at Lighthouse Baptist Church? Some people who will wholly follow God. Not partly. Not mostly. Not somewhat. Not tip God. God's not looking for a tip. He's looking for everything in your wallet. He's not looking for a tip. He's looking for everything in your heart. He's not looking for you to just come and give him a token uh, representation uh, of your life. He wants to have all of it. And if you'll give him all of it, you'll never regret it. Now, watch here. Watch here. We're not talking when we talk about sanctification, about what gets you into heaven or doesn't. We're not talking about that. Salvation gets you into heaven. Salvation rescues you from hell. Being saved is is what gets you into heaven and rescues you from an eternal condemnation in a place called hell. But sanctification helps you to grow and become like Jesus. It gives you, watch this, an abundant entrance into heaven. Uh, The Bible tells us in the book of John chapter 10 that the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Listen to me, the thief wants to destroy, he wants to kill, but God wants to give you eternal life and abundant life. Now watch here, you can't have eternal life unless you're saved, and you can't have abundant life unless you're fully, wholly surrendered to the Lord. (laughs) He wants to have you all. Now, it's stunning to me that some Christians don't understand this. Uh, talked to pastors recently and they said, you know, there's some people that attend my church and I love them and I'm so grateful that they're coming and, and they have such good talent and ability, but they don't want to join the church as if somehow joining the church was a bad thing. Getting saved is a good thing. Getting baptized is the next step. Joining the church is a good thing. And by the way, it's a Bible thing. Uh, you couldn't have church membership in the Bible if they, you couldn't exercise and do what they did in the New Testament if you didn't have church membership. Uh, they, they exercised church discipline. You couldn't do that without church membership. Uh, they had workers. You couldn't do that without church membership. Uh, one of the things we believe is we believe in order to be a member, you've got to be saved and baptized. And once you're saved and baptized, you need to be a member. <laughs> And so if you've not been a member, you're not a member of any church, you should just join up. And I can't think of a better time to do it than during revival meeting. Join up. Now, now, how would that work if we didn't do that in our jobs? In your jobs, you sign contracts, you join up, you say, I'm going to be with you for 12 months, I'm going to be with you till the job's done, you give your word, you give a handshake, you join up, join up. Why would you not join up? How would that work with a team? Hey, coach, we'll come if we feel like it. We'll be a part of it if we want to. Uh, how would that make the team? That would make the team a miserable and an abysmal failure. No, join up. Join up. In other words, God wants you all in. I have a preacher friend up in Wisconsin. His two sons uh, went to Maranatha uh, Baptist University when it was a college, and, and they played on the football team. And they said to the coach on the first day, we will play any position on this team except one. And he said, what one is that? They said, the bench. Now, do you know what that decision was? That was a decision to wholly follow the coach, to be all in on the team. And do you know what that decision did? 
that decision helped all the other decisions to be made. What they're going to eat or not eat to be healthy. Whether they're going to get up at 5.30 in the morning and roll out of the sack and run or not. Whether they're going to beat all the other team members to the uh, workout room so that they could lift weights. Whether they're going to be early uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the practice field and stay late after it was all over. You see, that decision to be all in is vital. And it's vital not only to a team and to that team's success and to a business and that business's success, but to God's work. And God's work is done today through the local New Testament church. God does his main work through this local New Testament church, through believers who have trusted Christ because of a church somewhere that got together and prayed and put out gospel literature or knocked on doors or told people about Jesus. God's work is it moves forward when people are wholly sanctified to God. Are you wholly sanctified to God this morning? I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Notice again, verse 23, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray God, your whole spirit, not part of you, not some of you. I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what would you think if you were famished, just famished, hungry? I mean, hungry your backbone starting to talk and get real close to your belly button. And I mean hungry. And you get to, you get to a meal that has been prepared and they give you just a tiny little leaf and a tiny little appetizer. I'm, I'm not even talking an appetizer. I'm talking about the samples that they give at Sam's Club or they used to. How many of you remember the wonderful days when they gave samples at Sam's Club. Those are wonderful days. My mom raised me right. We'd go through and we'd, uh, we'd go through when we were kids and we'd get samples and then we'd change coats and we'd go back through. <laughs> I mean, boy, well, I'll tell you, and, and that, that was the way mom fed us. But anyway, no, no, that wasn't the way. But, uh, uh, boy, you know, those are great days when they gave samples. I was at a Sam's Club pastor years ago and there was a lady, she was, I don't know, getting lobster and bacon or cream cheese or something, some little delicious, de- delectable de- bite and, and it was wonderful. And, and, and this is the way she was giving samples. No, 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 no. You can't have more than one backpack and you can't have one of these unless you're going to buy the product. Wow, that was a real downer. I want you to know. I don't think she had that job for very long. But anyway, I remember those great days when, when they gave samples. What if they, you're famished now and they just give you a tiny little sample and that's it? Well, you see, that would be wrong, right? That would be rude, true. That would be, that, that would be unthinkable right? It wouldn't satisfy me. No, it wouldn't. What satisfies you? When you can eat the whole plate full of food. You know what satisfies God? When his Christians give themselves wholly to him. He wants to sanctify not just part of you, but all of you, your body, your soul, and your spirit. Now watch, I mentioned earlier that your body is, is the flesh part of you. That's the appetite, the scientific part of you, the part that, that uh, science can explain in a, a lot of ways. There's certainly spiritual elements to your body, but, but your body is the appetite, the drive. Then your soul is your mind and your emotions and your will. The spirit is the part that gets saved when you get born again. And that's your God consciousness. That's your intuitive understanding of God's moral law and God's expectation. That spirit is the part that tells you you need to be serving the Lord. That spirit is the part that says, don't, don't raise your voice and talk to your spouse like that. That spirit is the part that says, you need to calm down. Everything's going to be all right. Trust in the Lord. Don't be worried. That spirit is, is, is what, that's the, that's the spiritual part of you. And watch, when you get born again, God's Holy Spirit comes and quickens, makes alive your spirit. Now you don't just have a conscience like every man. Now you have the Spirit of God living within you. Wow. Thrilling. 
And, and he's there to sanctify not just your spirit, but your soul and your body. In other words, he's not just there to drive one third of you. He wants to sanctify all of you. He wants to sanctify your body and your desires and your appetites so that they fall under his his uh, parameters. He wants to sanctify your soul, your mind and your motion and your will. He wants to sanctify all of you. And, and that happens when you get saved, that can happen. And when you surrender, that can happen. He wants to sanctify all of you. Let's look at our verse again, then we'll go to Luke 15. He says, in the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, completely, 100%, holy. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he saying this? He's talking about your need to be saved because you can't be sanctified unless you're saved. Your need to be surrendered because you can't be sanctified unless you're surrendered. Your need to be surrendered wholly or completely, and that's what God's aiming for. Why? Because someday you're going to stand before the Lord, and He wants you to be preserved blameless. He wants you to step across the finish line blameless, holy, honorable before the Lord. Now, he's, he's sanctifying to himself a peculiar people. He, he is uh, going to present his work or his church uh, faultless and without spot or wrinkle, which is an amazing thing to me. Uh, but he's going to do that. But watch this. He does that by doing this individually in your life, by you being sanctified and set apart and set apart for usefulness and prepared for a good work and holy, uh, a holy light that is clean and pure before the Lord. All right. He wants to sanctify you holy. Are you allowing him to do his work? Turn, please, to Luke 15, Luke chapter 15. And I want to see the tiebreaker in all of this. Now, there's the flesh that's pulling you away from the Lord. And then there's the spirit that's pulling you towards the Lord. So you have two votes that have been cast, one for you and one against you, one for the Lord and one against the Lord. And the flesh always wants to do what's wrong. Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He said, for the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. He said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's talking about his flesh. Paul, the great apostle, Paul, the man who took three missionary journeys and, and went to Rome at the end so that he could testify before the Lord and, 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 and of the Lord. Paul, who had written several epistles and started several churches and won several souls. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Do you know what he was speaking of there? The Romans, when they would, when they would uh, punish their prisoners, sometimes, especially if someone had been tried and found guilty of murder, they would take a dead body, excuse me, and they would tie that dead body to the person who was convicted. And that person would walk around literally until that body rotted off of their back. Can you imagine how awful that would be? And that is the reference that Paul is making when he says in Romans chapter seven, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This stench is too much. This rot is too much. I want to do good, but evil is present with me. I can't find a way to do right. Is there anybody besides me that's felt that way before? Whew. Wow. You said, preacher, sometimes I do wrong and I, I pray and I ask the Lord for forgiveness. And I, I, I pray and I say, Lord, I'll never do it again. And then sometime later, I find myself doing it again. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? That's my flesh. That's my body. That's pulling me away from the Lord. All right. That can be disciplined. It can be given to the Lord holy so that he can sanctify it. God's a perfect gentleman. He's not going to do something that is against, uh, th th he's not going to force himself on you. But then there's the spirit that's drawing me to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit of God quickens us and agrees with our spirit that we are children of God. And he, he's, he's, that's pulling me towards the Lord. So I've got this battle and two votes have been cast for the devil and for the flesh and for me and for self, my body, and for the Lord and for what's good and for what's right. Oh, I got this battle going on. I want to be sanctified, preacher. I want to be surrendered to the Lord. I want to wholly give myself to him so that he can do something with my life. I just don't know if I can. What's, what's, what's the soul? What's the deciding vote? Well, the deciding vote is the soul. It's the will and the emotions 
and the mind. That's what your soul is. Just like you're, you are a three-part being, body, soul, spirit, your soul is a three-part being. It's mind, emotions, and will. Now, in Luke 15, we find the story of the prodigal son, one of the most beautiful stories ever written and ever given. And it's God's story. It's God's story given to us. And it's the story of man gone away from the Lord. And he tells this story in the context of the lost coin, of the lost sheep, and now the lost son. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 15 that there was a man that had two sons, verse number 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger, the, the younger son gathered all, gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined him, himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his, said to his servants, bring forth the, the best robe and, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. This is one of the most beautiful stories ever put in the Bible and ever given to to man. And it tells about a son that's gone away from the Lord. He gets his inheritance early. He's he's a taker, not a giver. He's he's a thief. He takes what he has to himself and he goes to a far country and he spends and wastes everything that he has. While he had money, he had friends. While he had money, he had wine. While he had money, he had women. But he didn't have when all his money was all dried up. And when his money is all dried up and there's a famine in the land, and if you're away from God, if you've never come to the Lord, the famine is already hit. And he goes and he feeds himself with the husks from the swine. He's working feeding swine, something that would be stark and shocking to a Jewish mind here in Luke chapter 15. And he writes this and he says, he says to, says to himself, boy, I tell you, my servants have it better than me. Now listen to me carefully. If you will learn this thing today as a Christian, it will transform your spiritual life. You say, preacher, I'm saved. I've been born again. I've trusted Christ. I've got the Spirit of God living within me and has quickened my spirit. And I feel that pull towards God. That's why I'm here today. I want to honor God. That's why I'm here today. I want to please the Lord. That's why I'm here today. But boy, through the week, sometimes I feel that pull of the flesh and that temptation and that draw. And it's just leading me towards the current of this world. And preacher, I don't know what to do sometimes. What can I do? I've got one vote cast for the Lord and one vote cast for my flesh. What do I do? Let your mind, emotions, and will cast a deciding vote for the Lord. And, and you'll win. You'll be sanctified holy as you ought to be if you'll let your mind and your emotions, and here it is, your will, choose the Lord. Now look at verse number, verse number 17 again. It says, when he came to himself. You know what that is? That's his mind. I read in my devotions yesterday about a word that Solomon used when he prayed before the great promise, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. There's this great passage and it was in the passage of, of first Kings and it was telling about how Solomon prayed. And he said, if your people serve idols and they turn away from you and you send pestilence or sword or famine, he said, if they will bethink themselves. Now that's a word we don't use very much today. 
I like words like that. Bethink. I said, what does that word mean? You know what that word means? It means come to himself. It means use your brain. That's what it means. A man who's taking his inheritance early isn't using his brain. A man who's walking away from the guidance and wisdom of his dad when he's young isn't using his brain. A man who's wasting his substance with riotous living isn't using his brain. A man who is spending all that he has without any thought of the future and without any gratitude of the past isn't using his brain. But now all of a sudden when he doesn't have anything to do but think and he's slopping with the hogs and he's eating what they eat, God can get to a man's brain right there. And what the word bethink means is exactly what's in verse 17. When he came to himself, you know what he did? He, he began to bethink. What? What's going on? When he came to himself, he said, watch it. How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair? And I perish with hunger! Exclamation point! You believe the punctuation is inspired? I do. He says, I perish with hunger. You know what that is? That's his emotion. I don't believe in an emotionless Christianity. I don't know if you all are allowed to say amen here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, but the church that I grew up in, you weren't allowed to say amen. (laughs) The pastor, I was with this last week, his family and my family were friends, and his dad and mom were from Virginia, and his dad was the first one ever in the church to wear facial hair, and he had a little mustache, and that was kind of like taboo. You weren't allowed to do it. But Mr. Kelly was Mr. Kelly, and he didn't really care what anybody thought. (laughs) And Mr. Kelly would say amen. (gasps) And when you said amen in our church, you know, everybody turned and looked at you to say, we don't do that around here. (laughs) You know, you might get real excited every once in a while and write amen on a card and hold it up and hope no one saw it, but that was the most emotion that was ever allowed to be expressed in our church. Well, well, I, I don't believe in an emotionless Christianity. He says, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough in despair? And I perish with hunger. Watch here. Listen to me closely. Just like when my wife and I were standing at the wedding altar, our mind was fully engaged. Our emotions were touched. But that marriage covenant wasn't signed And the marriage vows were no good until we said, I do. Look at verse number 18. He said, I will. I will arise. Hey, you won't be sanctified holy Christian as you ought to be and give your heart completely to the Lord and cast the deciding vote for the Lord until you say, I will. And God brought you to this church this morning to say, I will. To stop vacillating between two opinions. To stop halting between two opinions. Say, I will. With your mind, say, it's no good to go the way of the flesh. It's no good to go to the desires of the flesh. I've experienced that fine and plenty and enough. And it's all brought me nothing but guilt and shame. I will go to the Father. I will walk with God. I will give myself wholly to Him. Say, I will. That's where the battle's won. It's not one in the mind. The mind's used. It's not one in the emotions. The emotion is a part of it. It's one when you say, I will. My favorite story about D.L. Moody is when he was preaching in England many, many years ago. And he called for one night of his meeting to be a night wholly devoted to the atheists. And so atheists from clubs all across England turned out in mass. There were 5,000 strong. 5,000 atheists gathered in one place to hear the great American evangelist. And he preached. When he first started, he preached and he went to an obscure text in Deuteronomy. Their rock is not as our rock. Therefore, their God is not as our God. And he preached, giving one story after another of bedside instances of those who were saved and those who were lost. And it took the men by surprise. Then he asked, who wants to be saved? And a few men stood up across the auditorium. He said, all right, now move to the side. There are workers ready and waiting to meet with you. And the doors are open. We're going to stand and sing a hymn, only trust him. And anybody that wants to leave can. Nobody left except a few people that wanted to be saved. 
He said, all right, let's sit down. And he began to talk to them about the words believe, receive, and, 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 and to choose to trust the Lord. To believe, receive, and trust. He began to explain those from the Bible. And as he's speaking, he says, will you today trust the Lord as your Savior? And one atheist spoke up and said, I can't. And he said, thank you, sir. I appreciate your honesty. He said, I want to show you from the Bible that you can. And he went to Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal son. He spoke to them about how this prodigal son had to make a choice to come to Jesus. And he spoke to them right to their hearts. And he said, all right, now who today will say, I will trust the Lord. And one man stood in the middle and said, I won't. And Moody burst out in tears. He said, there you have it. He said, the battle for salvation is won or lost in the will. He said, here you have, men, your champion who says, I won't. He said, who will stand with him right now and say, I won't trust the Lord as my Savior. And nobody stood. And he burst in tears. He said, there you have it. He said, you can trust him. If you won't say, I won't, then why won't you today say, I will? And literally scores and hundreds of atheists turned to Christ and with their will said, I will. It completely impacted the atheist movement in, in England so that they never recovered. Now, is there anybody here today as a Christian that will say, I won't say yes to the Lord and wholly follow him? Anyone? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you won't say I won't, then why don't you say I will? Is there anyone here this morning that would say, I won't trust the Lord as my Savior? Anyone? I won't believe on him. Then if you won't say I won't, why don't you today say I will? Would you bow with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to thank you for your attention to the Bible this morning. I wonder with your heads bowed and eyes closed if you'd say, Preacher, I'm not perfect. I don't know uh, all that I need to know, but I know that I've been saved. And as you preach this morning, God's Spirit has dealt with my heart. He's spoken to me about me giving my heart wholly to Him. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But I'm casting my vote for sanctification and for following Jesus and for letting Him have His way with me and letting Him do with me what He would desire to do. I'm saved, but today I'm going to throw up my hand to say, I will. I don't think I've done that, but I want God to wholly sanctify me. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Say, I'm going to cast my vote today. Good. Praise the Lord. Good. Who else along with these? Good. Good. Question number two. How many of you can say, Preacher, there's some things I don't know, but there's one thing I'm absolutely certain of. If I died right now, I know that I'd go to heaven. I'm not wishing or hoping or thinking I'll make it. I know that I'm going. Now, if you don't know that, it won't help you or me to raise your hand. If you've never been born again, then, then don't raise your hand. But if you've trusted Christ and are on your way to heaven, would you slip your hand up high? Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I wonder, is there anybody in this place that would say, Brother Dwight, I don't know. I'd like to know. I wish I knew, but I don't know. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Anyone here at all like that? All right, let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to have the pianist play just a verse or two of invitation. As she does, would you mind the Lord? Would you do what the Lord says? 